Well, good morning. Hope you got your Bibles with you. Turn with me to Psalms 38. Psalms 38. We are working our way through the book of Psalms, and this is what's next today. And so you see our, our tables are set uh, for our time together. We practice open communion here. That means that when we get to this part of the service, everyone that is in Christ is welcome to come to the tables. Uh, we'll, we'll say more about that when we get there, but what a fitting psalm today. This psalm is for the Christian, for the child of God. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to read it all this morning. Psalms 38, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden that are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. And all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my, of my heart. O oh Lord, all my longings is before you. My sighings is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails, and the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stands afar off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I have said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall. And my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning because eventually and Every one of us has been here. We, are, we sin as your child. And your disciplined hand comes on us. How are we to respond? What are we to desire, Lord, in that moment of chastening, rebuke? And even now, Lord, before we have even opened your word, we have been singing the gospel to each other. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that the, the debt of my sin 
has been forever removed. Now we are talking about our relationship with you. And how to have communion and fellowship with you. And let no sin separate us. Lord, we thank you for this. This family passage that we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So like we said, that this is important. I've spent a few more minutes in the introduction this morning for the sake of context. Context is, is important because this is a unique psalm. This is a psalm unique because it is relating your present suffering and sin. And so we see when we get to this moment, it's important for us to be clear. Because to not be clear is, is to misapply the scripture. And so here's what we cannot miss this morning. We can't dismiss it. That in this text, physical suffering and sickness is linked together. It is the chief theological significance, as you see on your screen. So let's, let's look and say, is this just one place in Scripture? Well, let's look at the New Testament. I want to, let's put some tension, and hopefully this will help us. John chapter 5, it should be in your notes at the top. John chapter 5. If you've got a Bible that's got headings on it, this is helpful. Because we're able to get a little context almost immediately. Jesus has performed a miracle, a healing at the pool on the Sabbath day. That's what my notes say. So that is helpful. He's, he's already healed this man. and The man has gone his way. Look at verse 14. It says, Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple, this man that he had healed, and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. See what he says? So apparently whether it's a natural consequence for sin. We don't know. Gives him this warning. But now turn with me over a few pages in your Bible to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Now we see at the heading of your Bibles here. That Jesus has performed another miracle. He's healed a. A blind man that was born blind. Look what his disciples say almost at the beginning at verse 1. And he passed by and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What was the assumption? Because he was born blind, somebody must have sinned. What does Jesus say? It was not, verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He was saying, "Go! it was for my glory that this man was born blind. You see the tension? Now turn with me. We're going to come back to this text at, at communion. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 27. There's letters written to the church. Want to make sure... Things are done rightly and in order, and things are not being done rightly and in order. And so he's, he writes in, in verse 27 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the, the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilt, con, guilty 
concerning the body and blood of Christ. Let a person first examine himself, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Listen to verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. You see? Sin. (laughs) And people are getting sick. And the God of the universe has taken some of his own home because of the sin in their life. That's the, that's the context of that passage. Now, turn with me to Hebrews. This is an important passage when it comes to understanding how our Father treats us as his children. Hebrews 12, look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you are also participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we have respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they have disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, verse 11, all discipline seems to be painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you see the tension in God's word over this issue of how he treats his own? It's not in your notes. Psalms 119 verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Job was righteous, yet he suffered. And here, David sinned and he suffered. So, like sometimes to challenge our growth groups, our growth groups meet in people's homes, we talk about the message. Here's your growth group question. I asked you this question because it caused me this question going through the text. Matter of fact, me and Christina talked about this exact question last night. Is there any benefit to me after this message to ponder, was that suffering that I encountered back 15, 20 years ago a result of my direct sin? Because probably when we went through it at that time, we probably didn't think much about it. Just wanted it to be over. Is there a benefit to that? Well, here's a question to answer a question. Do you think the Lord knows how to bring his children to maturity? It's a good question. Talk about it in growth group. If now, flip back with me to Psalms 38. I know that took a few minutes, but that was an important few minutes. <laughs> that we understand rightly Psalms 38. If you've got your Bibles open, look with me at the top, the heading before the text. It says, a Psalm of David for the memorial offering. Now, the easiest way to understand that, and I ask questions about that myself and through my studies and through other pastors that we meet every week and talk about this text. The simplest way to understand this is that David wanted this event in his life remembered. 
We'll see that more even at the end. Look at your main idea if you've got your sermon notes there. Those who repent, and those I mean by God's children here in this context of this passage, of their sins and look to the Lord for salvation will never be forsaken. Here's what I want you to ask. I hope you to see a little bit of a change as the sermon, as, the, as he lays this out, as he wrestles with, through, with faith through his own sin and his own suffering because of it. What did David desire? And, and don't give me the Christian answer to start with in your head. It's rhetorical. But as you go through here, ask yourself that question. Look at, verse, look at the first point. David's desperate plea, beginning in verse 1, has good news already. Because he starts this saying, oh Lord, it's a good place to start when you sin and when God is, is chastising you, this disciplined hand of God. Where does he start? Oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Isaiah 9 verse 13, that's in your notes there. God's people didn't do as a nation what David is doing here. Isaiah 9 verse 13 says, The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. David, in turn, is turning towards the Lord. And here's what he is asking. He is saying, Rebuke me not in your anger, nor in your wrath. Now, rebuke here means chastise. It means punish. This is almost exactly, we've already went through that passage. If you look back at Psalms chapter 6, you notice Psalm 6 is very similar. Matter of fact, verse 1 is the exact same words. Exactly. So is it, we asked the question, we went through Psalm 6, the question was, is it, does the Lord rebuke those in sin? The answer should be obvious, but in case it's not, he absolutely does. (laughs) Why? This is correcting. We'll come back to this passage a couple times. Psalms 51, you know the context, I hope, of Psalms 51. This is the prayer of repentance from David after his sin against Bathsheba and the murder of the husband Uriah. Look at Psalms 51. Look at verse 3. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgments. In other words, it is right and just for God to punish those who sin because sin is against Him. So is David here in in these first couple verses, is he rejecting God's discipline? He's not. You see, the emphasis here is not on rebuke me not. The emphasis is on anger and wrath. Why is he saying it? Rebuke me not in your anger and your wrath because of the illness that is on him. That is affecting all of him. Feels like it. (laughs) It's more than he can bear. And he's saying, he's not saying God don't discipline me. He's saying God don't discipline me in your anger. Why is he saying that? Because he deserves his anger. We do not deserve mercy in any question that does not presume that before it's asked. It starts in the wrong place. We do not deserve mercy. 
the mercy of God. We deserve the punishment of God. It's always proper to appeal to God. We've said this before. We don't want God's justice in our life. We want His mercy. Look at verse 2 and 3. Make no mistake. Look at it. Your arrows, your hand, your indignation. Whatever's going on in his life has been given him by God. This physical illness that has brought an awareness of his sin and conviction is so crushing to him, he cannot take it. And listen, we need to back up for a minute as Christians and say, According to what Hebrews 12 said, that's the love of God. Because if you were not His, He would have just turned you over to your sin. Instead, He leans into us. I was a machinist most of my life. And now I study a lot and use my head. And I I miss sometimes using my hands. And so sometimes to give my brain a break, I'll pull up YouTube and I'll watch somebody doing something with their hands. They're building a building or doing something with metal, because that was my... But one of the things I find fascinating, if somebody were coming to watch me and say, what are you watching that? I just find it fascinating is, is, is people who work with metal in the forge, and they, they, they get it up to hot. I've seen these great, big, huge billets of steel, and they put it under these, these big anvils, and these automatic hammers come down and pound it. This is the picture where David feels like that this is what God is doing in his life. I feel like I'm being squeezed. Look at verse 4. David's burden is both inward and outward. He said, For my iniquities have gone over my head. They're too heavy for me to carry. Sort of a picture of Pilgrim's progress and that burden he was carrying. He feels like he's drowning. This is important. His prayer, his desperate plea, is for non-justice. Non-justice is not injustice. Injustice would be that he is being punished for something he did not do. What he is asking for is for God to show him mercy. And in, and in just a minute, he's not only going to pray for mercy for himself, he's going to pray for justice for those that are coming against him. We need both. And he turns to the Lord for both. But make no mistake, he's honest. It's why we love David. It's why we love the Psalms. They're honest. David's David's miserable. (laughs) Look at David's sin and David's misery in verses 5 to 8. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. No, this is not speaking simply in in hyperbole here. He actually has something physical happening to him. And he says... This is my own foolishness is because of this. Look at the misery. Verse 7. Is, you ever ran a long way, your side starts hurting? This is, the, this is the picture here. For my sides are filled with burning. Some translation says my loins are filled with, with burning. There's a better translation is my side. No soundness in my flesh. Look at verse 8. I am feeble and crushed. And here we see... He's having an anguish not only in his flesh, but inside of him. 
physical and mental anguish. Torment of the mind and of the body is accepted here as coming from the Lord. Verse 5, it is because of his own sin. Verse 8, we could well understand this as him slipping into a pit of despair, even depression right here. Ask our question, what does he desire at this point? Relief. (laughs) Why don't you stop? Dying here. His desperate plea goes out, but it involves an agonizing wait. Verse 9. O Lord, all my longings is before you. My sighings is not hidden from you. All David could do is groan. You ever had that happen to you? You ever been through something so bad, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually, you can't even make out the words to pray? I... I'd I'd give an articulate prayer, but nothing comes out. If you haven't, child of God, you will. I can think of both a physical and a spiritual, emotional time in Christina and I's life that we we anguished. I can remember there was times I had a ruptured disc in my back one time that hurt so bad it never stopped. That's sort of what he's painting. It's something that stops. He can't get any relief from it. I drive you nuts after a while. Christina would oftentimes just have to take the whole family and get them out of the house so that I could just sit in my chair and moan. This is what he's going through. That could be physical. That could be emotional. This groaning, saying, my covenant Lord will understand, will see, and can hear. We're not going to go there. Exodus 2, 23 to 25 is a really beautiful picture of God's people groaning in captivity and God hearing their cry, their moan, their groaning and remembering. When God remembers, when you see that in Scripture, it means we're calling Him for Him to act. He's acting on His own covenant. This is mine. I'm waiting for Him. David is... Not only groaning, David's exposed. In other words, we oftentimes when we're going through something, we are pretty good at hiding it. If I'm I'm doing, I'll put on my happy face. You know, you put on your happy face. Look at this. Eyes don't lie, do they? (laughs) If you're going through something, it's it's hard to hide. You're not going through something in your eyes. My heart throbs. My strength fails. The light of my eyes has gone to me. There is a Physical and psychological effects of his sin were obvious not only in his own life, but to everybody around him. And now, now we see what happens. Here, verse 11 and 12. David's exposed. Next thing you know, David's isolation increases. Look at verse 11. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague. That word plague, by the, by the way, is used in other times to describe something like leprosy. That's not what it... We have no proof that we don't have no have a clue what he had. But it's, it was something physical. He says that his own friends, his nearest kin, won't even come close to him. Not only that, his enemies see this as a good opportunity to attack. Verse 12, those who seek my life lay their snails. They seek sna- snails. They, they lay their snares. It'd be nice if they just laid out snails, wouldn't it? You just poured salt on them. Speaks of his ruin. In other words, he feels distant from God. 
cause of his sin. And now he feels like those who should come towards him now won't have anything to do with them. Why, why does this oftentimes happen in our life? We have to understand when, when we're suffering, and this is true in sickness and in death, why people most of the time don't like to go to hospitals, they don't like to go to funerals, they don't like to be around people who are really suffering. Why is that? Because it makes us realize that we could be in that situation. It makes everybody has to deal with their own mortality. And so in making them uncomfortable, they just stay away from him. But oh, there's a turning point here. It's a turning point in verse 13 for David. Look at David's silence. This is critical. This should have reminded you of somebody here. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth there is no rebukes. He is overwhelmed by this situation, yet as it relates to his friends and his enemies, he stands there silent. Quote, David was eminently typical of our Lord Jesus, whose marvelous silence before Pilate was far more eloquent than words. Spurgeon says this, To abstain from self-defense is most difficult and frequently most wise. Like Spurgeon. Let me say that again. That's a good one. To abstain from self-defense is often most difficult and frequently most wise. David is silenced. And look at the turning point here in his own prayer. But for you, verse 15, but for you, O Lord, I do wait. It is you, O Lord, who will answer. Answer what? Not only his plea for deliverance, but to will answer them. That's speaking against him. It is now the person and character of God that comes into view in his life. As he begins to leave all into the hands of God. His situation and his friends. His situation and his enemies. We see now as his desperate plea for relief now becomes still a plea for relief. But now becomes a God-centered plea for relief. There's a glimmer of hope, the proclamation that the ruler of the universe has the last word in my life. Now that's comforting. He can't do anything here, so he, he's just waiting on the Lord, and he's, look at what he's doing. He's prayed for non-justice, he's prayed for mercy, he also prays for justice. Lord, they're treating me, they're treating me in this situation unfairly. So David wants relief. But through this suffering, through the chastising, through the discipline, he comes to the end of himself and now casts himself on the Lord. So get David's humble confession. Verse 17. For I am ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. Why does he say that? Because it's the truth. It's just the honest truth. Look at the sinner. This is his focus. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. You see, we have to ask ourselves a question. And oftentimes this is what God is getting to in our life. However, he brings the discipline in our life. Am I really broken over my sin against the Lord? Or do I just want the consequences of my sin to be taken away? There's a big difference. And God will not be mocked. 
He can't be distorted. He can't be manipulated. He wants us to come to the end of ourselves, where Psalms 51, 3 and 4 is actually true. And we actually do cry out to Him and say, against you and you only have I did this. And I don't want to be away from you. I don't want sin to come between me and you. Verse 19 and 20, he's praying for justice still. So David's response in this moment, and listen, has this situation got better or worse? If anything, his situation has got worse because now his friends won't have anything to do with him and his enemies are attacking him and he's still suffering. But he chooses here to focus on his God in repentance and wait for both mercy and justice and God's wisdom to know how to bring it. David leans in at the end of this psalm in, a, in an urgent prayer. And if, you've take, if you're taking notes, write God-centered. David's urgent God-centered prayer. Verse 21, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Verse 22, Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. I want to take just a few minutes and and say, no matter what happens in our life, no matter why God brings this and withholds that, we now have learned that God does it so that we might share in His holiness precisely because we are His child, not because we're not His child. But oh, here's what David, David's not a picture of a perfect man. He wouldn't have put Psalms 38 in here if he was. He's a picture of his man. Both his successes and his victories and his failures has made him a man of prayer. And listen, this is the focus that must come into our lives. We must be people of prayer. David's life has taught him that prayer is all he had. Because our God is the one who brings victory. Our God is the one. You see, this is communion from beginning to end. It was communion in the garden that was broken by sin. It was Christ who restored our communion. And it will be communion that we will celebrate forever in the presence of our Lord. And sin gets in the way of communion. Listen to Spurgeon again. If the devil were sick or our lust feeble, we might slacken prayer. But with such lively and vigorous enemies, we must not cease to cry madly to our God. As I lay there trying to go to sleep last night, I began to just look up articles on the Great Awakening. This just happened to be one that I found. Quote, The faith and prayers of the righteous leaders was the foundation of the Great Awakening. Before a meeting, George Whitfield would spend hours and sometimes all night bathing in and venting prayers. Fervent church members kept the fires of revival going through their genuine petition for God's intervention in the lives of their communities. We will not see awakening in Kings Mountain if we do not pray. This is not a program. This is who we are and prayer is all we have. 
Christ is all we have. So prayer is all we have. He is praying for God at the end of this. Come near and come now. God brings His grace and His mercy with Him when He comes. Urgent prayer is now asked for, for God's presence. You see it? Oh my God, be not far from me. You see, there's a big difference in desiring God and just wanting Him to stop punishing you. And David got to it. I need God. I desire Him. We say oftentimes in our house, especially my poor wife, you know, all, you know the kids come home and they think her name's Anita. Anita this, Anita that. And we oftentimes just say, sorry, we fired Anita. She doesn't work here anymore. Sometimes we say we hired, you gotta. <laughs> we gotta pray. Come now, come near. David's capacity here, his last verses here is so theological. Look at back in Psalms 38. Look at verse 21 and 22. He uses three names for God here. This is how we can tell that he, is, that he has got it. He says, O Lord. The first O Lord is Yahweh. It's a covenant God. It's one we see all the time in the Psalms. It means that's my God chose to go into a covenant with me and has bound himself in covenant with his people and he will not forsake me because of it. We are bound together in Christ because of the new covenant. And we are adopted into the family of God and he will not forsake his own. This is what he is saying. My God. The term my gives it a term of endearment. Like when we pray to God as our Father. He's our covenant God. He's our Father. And the last, O Lord, my Savior, is the word Adonai. He's my Master. And He is able to save. What is He saying? He's saying, the Lord is my covenant Father, and I am underneath His authority, and He is mighty to save. He's, listen, this is important. He submits himself to the sovereignty of God and prays. Our prayer causes things to happen because God wills it to be that way. And so he submits himself and he prays. Psalms 51.17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Psalms 40.17 says, As for me, I am poor. I am needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Many of us this morning need to get to the end of ourselves. And some of us need to get to the end of our friends and our enemies. Because neither one of them has the last word to say in your life. The Lord does. And he says to his own, you are mine. This is what David wants the people to remember. That those who repent of their sins and look to the Lord for salvation will never be forsaken. 
And so now, we come to the time where the obvious question is not a question, it's a statement. I need to confess my sins and put my trust in Christ. I've said this before, most every time we come to the table, don't sit there in your seat and say, I'm not ready to take the table, to come to the table because of this, and I'm just not going to come. The Lord calls on His own to repent and come to the table. Our God is mighty to save. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to start preparing ourselves. And then in just a minute, Pastor Mike is going to come and sing. Just bow with me in a spirit of prayer as I read God's word over, over you and over us. Psalms 139. Verse 23 tells us that we should ask the Lord to search our very heart for sin. In other words, we could be doing things and we're not even aware of it. We don't want anything to be in a way. So Lord, search us. Oh God, know our heart. Try us and know our thoughts. Lord, if there's any grievous way in us, Lord... Lead us in the way of everlasting. Lord, we acknowledge Psalms 51.4 that says against you and you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But, oh Lord, we are rejoicing as Christians that we have been brought into Christ who has removed the just penalty of our sins and Absorbed it completely on the cross and given us his righteousness. And so we say as those who know you but oftentimes sin against you. That we do not say as 1 John 1, 8 warns us that we have no sin. We say that we have much sin. But oh Lord, you say in your word. That we, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we now come to you and thank you that we have been able to come here in a few minutes before we come to the table, before we stand and worship and then come to the table. Lord, we, we thank you that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so now... We ask you, Lord, to receive our worship as we stand to our feet in worship and then in a few minutes come to the table. Thank you for the grace of the cross and forgiveness and the reconciliation that comes only through Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. It is in his name now that we say, Amen.